to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast is up to speed with Formula One racing. Mark Daly here. Welcome you to the show this week here on the Overtime Podcast Network. Just me alone tonight. Uh, Kevin has the evening off. Well deserved. He's been busy with other things. And my week is really, really crazy looking ahead. So I thought might as well get in a little bit earlier than usual to recap the Spanish Grand Prix and all the Formula One news that is out there this week. So, well, another race, another Mercedes 1-2. And, well... What do we even have to say about that at the moment? Well, we'll get into that. Anyways, let's just talk a little bit now. After uh, Lewis Hamilton winning the Spanish Grand Prix and uh, Valtteri Bottas coming in second, that now means our updated Drivers' Championship is as follows. Lewis Hamilton moves into first place with 112 points. Valtteri Bottas uh, now in second with 105. Max Verstappen leaping up the order a little bit now with 66. Sebastian Vettel in fourth place with 64 and Charles Leclerc the second Ferrari driver in fifth place with 57 points and then actually a a shout out to Pierre Gasly had a bit of a rough start in the first couple of races of the year has now moved up into seventh sorry sixth in the world championship with uh, 21 points and looking on the constructor side of the 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 picture now and of course and no surprise here it's been like this pretty much all season but when uh when it's all said and done, it might be wrapped up for Mercedes sooner rather than later. And at the moment, Mercedes is miles ahead of anybody else in the Constructors' Championship at the moment. With 217 points, Ferrari is second with 121. Red Bull Racing, 87 points for third, followed up by McLaren with 22. And then uh, Racing Point, rounding out the top five in the Constructors with uh, 17 points so far. Anyways, first of all, today, there's uh, some news that, well, we, we talked about uh, briefly uh, last week that uh, perhaps we're going to lose a couple of races by the end of this year. And um, F1 CEO Chase Carey was saying that that they would still be 21 races next year, uh, despite uh, the, the possibility of losing the Spanish Grand Prix at Barcelona, for one, Hockenheim, Mexico, you know, there's several others that, uh, that could be gone at the end of the year. But at least for today, there's been an announcement that the Dutch Grand Prix will be returning to the F1 schedule for the first time since 1985, and somehow I vaguely remember that race, although I don't remember too many particulars about it. Anyways, the Dutch Grand Prix is returning to Zandvoort uh, starting in 2020, and uh, it's very exciting, of course, and, well, I mean, Max Verstappen is the Dutch F1 superstar at the moment, and you can expect that around every single corner and every grandstand at Zandvoort next year will be completely a sea of orange, and I'm sure that it will be a fantastic atmosphere. Being a uh, of Dutch ancestry myself and having lived there for several years when I was a little bit younger, I can guarantee that the uh, the atmosphere there from the Dutch race fans will be uh, absolutely outstanding. So maybe I got to get my tickets early. It sounds like that might be one to go and see in person. Might be a, a, a really good time. And I don't think I've actually ever been to the circuit there. I was there a number of years ago. Uh, my cousin was playing in a golf tournament, which 
which actually was right close to the the racetrack, but haven't actually been there in person as uh, as uh, as of yet. Anyways, it, it's uh, like I say, it is on for 2020, and uh, Max, of course, uh, his other home races in Belgium, and also gets a, a lot of Dutch support there. So I think uh, 2020 is shaping up to be the year of Max Verstappen, at least from a support point of view. So it uh, should be a very very exciting to watch, and well you know, perhaps maybe Max might be able to put in a bit of a performance. Maybe next year he'll have the the, the car and the engine to deliver perhaps a a real solid um, push towards his first world championship. Again, this weekend, very, very decent performance for Max, getting another podium. Again, he was ahead of the Ferrari and we'll get there in a minute, but there are plenty of other things to talk about. And moving on from there, well, (laughs) let's just talk about Ferrari. Let's just get right into it. There's no point beating around the bush uh, any longer. They just weren't good enough again this past weekend in Spain. And it's very alarming. I think if you're a fan of Ferrari, I think if you're a fan of Formula One, or maybe if you're just not a fan of uh, Mercedes, that, that Ferrari's challenge to the reigning multiple world champions, the, the Silver Arrows, has failed to materialize so far this uh, this year. Uh, of course, we've almost talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast, and I apologize for that, but... Going back to winter testing at uh, Barcelona, they clearly looked like they had the car to beat. And when it came to reality in uh, in Australia at the beginning, or sorry, the middle of March, it has turned out to be completely the the opposite. And apart from a real promising outing in Bahrain, which of course turned out to be disappointing from the fact that they had some reliability issues and they just couldn't uh, hold on to what was looking like a certain one too. It's uh, they've gone backwards. They, they just cannot really mount any challenge towards uh, Mercedes. And of course their their fifth one, two finish was uh, another record setter. And there was no challenge from, from anybody else this weekend. Uh, we, we've regressed, I think a couple of years in, in formula one, we've gone back to, well, not, not regressed, obviously, in a technology point of view, but t- regressed in a competition point of view. I, th- this sort of feels, again, like the 2014, 2015, 26 era, sorry, 2016 era of Formula One when it was Rosberg and Hamilton, and it was basically going to be one of those two guys winning each and every week. And now that's basically what we've had this year between Hamilton and uh, Valtteri Bottas. And again, this weekend, nobody was able to, to, to come close and, and challenge them either in, um, in, in qualifying or during the race and I think it's really alarming because um, again Ferrari's left on the defensive to explain what went wrong and what sort of kind of went right but not really a lot went right uh, after the race um, the Formula One uh, sorry Ferrari F1 boss uh, Mattia Bonato uh, he was explaining that the team orders that they uh, deployed throughout the race were were given at the right moment. And, uh, well, first of all, uh, we, we had uh, Sebastian Vettel, who really, I thought, made an aggressive move at the start of the race. He was um, the third to start the race, so that meant he lined up uh, behind pole sitter Valtteri Bottas, who had a bad start. Let, let's face it, he did not get off the line as good as any of the other cars around him. Hamilton uh, had a much better start for, from second spot, and uh, Vettel was uh, quick off the line, too, and tried to go around uh, uh, Bottas at the first corner and just couldn't make it stick and he had to lay on the brakes and ended up with uh, w- with a big flat spot on his tire which uh, sorry right front tire which actually compromised uh, his first stint and st- saw him losing more and more speed more and more time the, the, the more he got into that stint 
But hey, you know what? When you know that you have such a, de- a deficit to, to your competitors in uh, in Mercedes, I, I think that Vettel did what he needed to do. I think he realized, and he said as much afterwards, that he felt that uh, because they were behind uh, uh, Mercedes that he really had to make a move and really try and make it stick at the start. Otherwise, they were just going to go and disappear down the track, which is pretty much uh, what happened once uh, Bottas and Hamilton uh, had kind of sorted themselves after uh, that uh, the, the opening corner and the opening laps, and once uh, everybody sort of settled into the rhythm of the race, they just sort of disappeared. And then, of course, it, it really looked like Charles Leclerc uh, was uh, was much faster. And you know what? I don't have an issue with uh, Ferrari w- uh, issuing the team orders. I think that you have to give the the, the faster car the choice. Sorry, the chance to um, to succeed, and if uh, one of your cars is faster, I say uh, let him go for it. And of course, uh, yeah, when it comes to a Ferrari, there's always going to be a lot of uh, politics, especially when you have a four-time world champion in uh, Sebastian Vettel and newcomer Charles Leclerc, which is uh, only in his first year with Ferrari, second year in Formula One. But why not? Why not switch them around when you need to and give the guy that's got the, the, the best car, maybe got the best uh, or the, the better tires on at the moment, let him go and see if he can make a dent and, and, and catching the cars in front of them. Sadly, it didn't work out that way. And at the, the end of the race, it, uh, it it was another disappointment. They ended up fourth and fifth again. And and the season certainly looks like it's starting to get away from Ferrari uh, right quick because you know we have in a couple of weeks Monaco coming up, and honestly, that that's going to be a real gamble or a lottery. I mean, it doesn't really matter what happens; anybody has a chance to win there. And uh, we've seen some very unpredictable and unexpected results there over the years. So maybe it's a chance for Ferrari to get one back. Maybe they can uh, get out uh, and get uh, one of those cars on pole position. Then you can literally sit there at the at the head of the the order, have a couple of good pit stops, and still manage to to prevent anybody else from from passing you. Because in this day and age, it, in in Formula One, it is even tougher to pass uh, around Monaco. And we saw last year with uh, Danny Ricardo, who I mean, all credit to Danny Ricardo for for winning that race with the problems he had in his car. He was able to stay out in front for a very, very long time, most of the race, in fact, despite having engine problems and just really stacked up the cars behind them. And nobody could uh, find a way around him, either on the track or trying an undercut or overcut uh, in the pits. It just didn't uh, work out. So maybe that's uh, what Ferrari's looking for to maybe get a little bit of a feel good factor back into their season because it's just not going right. I mean, again, not only does uh, where they left uh, to explain what they, they had decided to do in uh, in terms of um, the, the strategy and the team orders and things like that. They're now conceding that they believe that the car concept might be wrong. And this really kind of blows my mind because here we are less than half a dozen races into the season and we're talking about a car that uh, a couple of months ago looked like it was going to be the car to, to beat. And they did introduce a, a number of aerodynamic and engine upgrades uh, for Barcelona. And uh, they, they really were hoping that those were going to be able to lift the form and, and really start to challenge uh, Mercedes. But it was another tough weekend. I mean, Mercedes were just, uh, again, leagues ahead of everyone else. And they were not even able to compete with uh, with uh, Max Verstappen. So, I mean, we've seen that playing fields uh, really leveled uh, with, uh, with Red Bull and Ferrari, where they have faltered. Red Bull are starting to move forward. And I think that uh, we're starting to see um, that the, the the potential that the that the Honda has. Obviously, Red Bull still does not have the the capability uh, to uh, challenge uh, Mercedes at the moment. 
But still, I'm impressed with what they've done so far this year. We saw in the opening race of the year where Ferrari struggled a little bit. Well, obviously more than a little bit. But we saw something that uh, we had not really seen or really expected. And that was Max Verstappen out dragging and and, and passing Sebastian Vettel on the straightaway in in Melbourne. And that was not something that we've uh, really come to expect or see in Formula One in recent times. But where Ferrari are struggling, Red Bull seemed to be inching forward it may not be big huge jumps but they've been saying and max has been saying that he's hoping to target wins uh, sometime in the in the middle of the season and well they've been able to do that uh, over the years sometimes it was a, a little bit of good luck a little bit of good fortune and uh, some good strategy and some bold moves on their uh, behalf like they did in china last year when there was a safety car after verstappen and uh, and vettel crashed and they um, managed to get into ricardo out front but they do I think manage their cars very well and uh, their, their tactics always seem to be more often than not on point than not. And we, we know that the cars that they design are good and it was a big risk for them, obviously switching from Renault engines to Honda, but Honda all credit to them. They, they, they struggled in Formula One, and that was going to be the real benchmark, I think, was this year. Where are they going to be compared to, say, a year ago, or even the last uh, end of last year? Are they still going to be competitive? Are they going to be further ahead or further, further behind? And I think, if anything, at least looking at Max Verstappen, because Gasly has, of course, had uh, some issues to start the season. Seems like he's starting to settle in a little bit now, starting to get a little bit more comfortable with the car, and he's starting to uh, rack up some points, and he seems to be a little bit closer to Max in qualifying, and he should be in that uh, that that mix of the top six cars. I mean, that's uh, where he's got to be. I mean, uh, you've got one of the three best cars in Formula One out of a Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull, so you should be in that mix and the, the, the top five or six drivers each and every week. However, I mean, getting back to the point is that Max Verstappen is one of the best drivers in Formula One. He's got a good car, and the question is always going to be, are Honda going to be able to step up and deliver? And they are steadily getting closer to um, uh, Mercedes. They're definitely closer to Ferrari. And Max had said earlier in the weekend that they weren't going to be challenging uh, Mercedes, but he definitely felt like they were racing Ferrari this weekend. And certainly that's what it came down to. And I thought it was very interesting when there was the uh, the, the safety car late in uh, the, the race after uh, Lando Norris and La- uh, Lance Stroll had their accidents. Uh, about three quarters of the way through the race. And of course, having the safety car back out on the track backs up the race uh, order and they get them all compressed in a line. And of course, you expect that once the safety car goes back into the pits, they go back uh, to racing. Lewis at the head of the pack is going to really dictate that restart. And you would really expect him to pull away. I mean, he really pulled away after that restart, even more than I think uh, many of us expected. But I thought that uh, if uh, Vettel was, uh, or maybe even Leclerc, were going to have a chance to uh, challenge for third position, it it would come uh, very quickly after that restart. And Max didn't have tons of speed. He didn't have like a real huge gap uh, between them, but he was just uh, able to, especially in those uh, first couple laps after the restart, just stay far enough ahead of the Ferrari that uh, that he didn't really need to, to worry about them. And uh, Vettel wasn't close enough to try uh, DRS, wasn't able to, um, uh, to, uh, to, to make an overtaking uh, maneuver on Max. And I think that's uh, really starting to maybe signal a bit of a change of the guard in uh, respect to who are going to challenge uh, Mercedes up at the top. Anyways, I'm going to take a little uh, bit of a break here. More on this in a moment. So you're listening to Scuderia F1 Pod here on the Overtime Podcasting Network. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. 
passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Welcome back to the show. So talking a little bit more about the the, uh, the, the changing of the guard, uh, as it might be, between uh, the, the challengers for, um, uh, for, for Mercedes and just uh, sort of finishing that off, uh, that thought, with Max Verstappen and, and Red Bull. And again, if uh, they're really, cha- or, uh, really targeting wins mid-season, it's going to be really interesting how much they can really move forward. I mean, we know that uh, that that Honda and Red Bull that partnership really seems to be working together. There seems to be more synergy, uh, a lot more, at least on the outside, uh, teamwork uh, between the two parties to really get a ca- a package together of chassis and engine that really works together well. And uh, that seems to be a, a lot different uh, than uh, the situation was at uh, McLaren, but. Again, just uh, talking about Ferrari and them slipping back. They, they did introduce, as most teams do when they get to, to, to Europe and get to Spain, being the start of the European season, and a time that uh, they, they do uh, start to introduce the, uh, the the first rounds of serious upgrades because of these first three, four races of the year, depending how the uh, Formula One schedule is uh, structured each and every year. By the time they come back to what they call the start of the European season, which typically starts with the Spanish Grand Prix in the middle of May, is where they bring the first round of um, really serious aerodynamic and uh, engine upgrades and Ferrari were really hoping that the 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 the, uh, the upgrades that they were going to introduce to the car in uh, Spain were really going to raise their level and and bring them back in contention uh, with uh, Mercedes but unfortunately if you're a, a Ferrari fan, uh, Mattia Bonato, their team principal, has said that uh, their upgrades were well below our expectations and they proved insufficient. So very, it's not very encouraging to hear that uh, from uh, from Bonato. And they were, you know, not only were they not able to close that gap to uh, Mercedes, but they're falling behind Red Bull as well. So it really is... I think surprising to me. I mean, the, the, just how Ferrari has really gotten off track, uh, and and they're just. I really expected them this year uh, to to really be in a position to challenge Mercedes more, and that, that definitely had been the trend over the previous two seasons. I know that uh, 2018 didn't end well, and I mean, there, there's more than one person that you can blame that on. I mean, you can uh, blame a lot, you know, some things on Sebastian Vettel, some you can blame on the team, some was a combination. I mean, it, it was a lot of things, but to me... <laughs> It was a real line in in the sand, and after that, uh, the the um, the Belgian Grand Prix, which 
I thought was a really impressive race because head to head uh, in that race, they were faster than Mercedes. Uh, Sebastian Vettel uh, was class that day and just to really control that race at the front. And I really thought that uh, that after the a bit of a, a stumble in Hungary uh, just before the summer break, that they looked like that they were going to start strong and in the second half of the season and then go on to uh, the races like Italy and Singapore and and all those races that we get at the end of the year and get into that uh, sort of towards the, um, the 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 home stretch and the finale at uh, Abu Dhabi that that they still had a legitimate shot because I mean the signs were there that Mercedes were coming on in that middle part of the season before the summer break, but it wasn't until Monza that I think was a real turning point uh, for Ferrari. Uh, Vettel and Hamilton clash on the first lap. There was um, the the whole situation in qualifying that just the way that it worked that uh, Raikkonen got the toe. He ended up getting the, the the pole position, and then his tires go in the race, and uh, from there he ended up uh, not being able to win it, which uh, you know would have been a crowd pleaser for sure. Uh, well, I think anytime a Ferrari wins, but uh, definitely uh, you know Kimi has a lot of his own fans. But after that, you go to Singapore. And it just progressively got tougher and tougher. And uh, Vettel's uh, championship bid uh, started to evaporate. And then it looked less and less likely that they'd be able to challenge for the the, uh, the constructors. And of course, at the end of the year, by the time they get to Mexico, Hamilton wraps up his fifth world championship. Mercedes, uh, at the end of the year, are constructors champions again. And it, it really... It was a real, I thought, uh, anticlimactic, and and this is no disrespect uh, by by any means towards Mercedes. I, I have a lot of admiration, a lot of respect for for what they've done because the the record that they have in this uh, V six uh, turbo hybrid era of uh, Formula One since twenty fourteen is just damn impressive. I mean, there's no other way uh, to say it. I, I mean, obviously they've dominated, but to do what they do and do it consistent and do it consistently well is just absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, especially in uh, an arena like Formula One, where there, there are so many good constructors and so many good teams that that they're able to stay that much further ahead out uh, in front than everyone else and of course they have a huge uh, huge budget to to do so but just because you have a lot of money doesn't necessarily mean that that you're going to be able to to be successful it doesn't always work that way in in, in sports just because you have a lot of money and you're the owner of say the Dallas Cowboys just because you spend as much money as you can under the salary cap doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a team that's going to be competitive and win the Super Bowl every year I mean, if you're Jerry Jones, obviously you're going to hope that's going to be true. But I mean, obviously a team sport like football is different than uh, than Formula One. But my point is that just spending money is not the same as spending money well and spending it wisely and and, and doing the proper things with it. And that's one of the things that uh, Mercedes have done is that they uh, they struggled obviously in their first couple of years back in formula 1 and uh, it, it didn't happen for them overnight but they 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 took their time they spent a lot of time uh, developing and investing in the technology for the v6 uh, turbo hybrid era and once this uh, this formula was introduced in 2014 it's been all silver arrows uh, ever since but still it is it is for me a little bit frustrating, and I think uh, a, a lot of people will uh, will uh, agree with that. Maybe, obviously, not uh, Hamilton and uh, Bottas and uh, Mercedes fans uh, per se, but it's 
to me, it is disappointing when uh, it looked like Ferrari was on the ascendancy in the past couple of seasons that that's, that, that, that challenge has petered out and uh, they've started to regress again. And the challenge there so far is just uh, not what everybody I think had hoped for and expected because a Formula One, I think that has, well, I mean, Ferrari always has that appeal, but you need a couple of strong teams, I think, that have a shot to, to, to win a race each and every week because it does tend to get... I would. I guess it depends on your point of view. Some people call it boring. Some people might call it tedious. Some people might say it's just not exciting. I mean, there's so many different ways to uh, uh, to describe it. But I think that it, from a from a more neutral point of view, it would be more appealing. It would be more fun if somebody would be able to challenge the Silver Arrows each and every weekend. And hey, you know what? If at the end of the year they still win it, Hamilton or or Bat, uh, Bottas becomes a world champion. I don't really mind. Uh, the, the only difference for me is that it, it would be, I, I think, from a sporting point of view, would be a better earned championship uh, if uh, they, they had to scrap it out. But I mean, if uh, they, you can't help but admire, like I say, the, the the work that they've done and they continue to do to to stay at the top of uh, of Formula One. And you know what? And Total Wolf uh, made a very good uh, comment and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of made me have uh, you know let chuckle a little bit because he said that there's nothing we can do about uh, Mercedes domination, and you know what? He's right. I mean, their job is to go in, design a car, build a car that's competitive, and then go out there and race it. It's none of their business what any of the other nine Formula One teams do. It's none of their business. There's none of their concern. Well, of course they're going to be concerned with what their competitors are doing, but if their competitors cannot match them or cannot beat them that's not their problem their problem is to go out there and do everything they can do to win races and that's absolutely what the what the, what they've done and it's left a lot of their competitors standing around and and really looking for answers in places and, and trying to sort out the the, the problems that's, uh, that that they do have and uh, while teams like Red Bull, who seem to be getting things sorted out uh, a little bit better than Ferrari, uh, are, are left to catch up. So in the meantime, what are we going to see? I, I would suggest we're going to see more of the same. And uh, of course, it'll be interesting to see what happens after Monaco when we get back to, to real racing tracks, if you want to call them that, and get to, to, to Canada and the British Grand Prix, French Grand Prix, all these uh, other purpose-built uh, racetracks and, and see then uh, once we get back to uh, um, the, the like the like I say real racing proper racing on a proper track away from the the, the tight and compressed compact circuit of uh, Monaco which is always great for the spectacle of everything that uh, maybe is the lifestyle of Formula One and maybe not so much of a spectacle in the race itself uh, if uh, past races and uh, recent memory are anything to go by. But by the time we go to Canada and, and France, England, all those uh, different uh, tracks, like I say, it will be interesting to see then whether or not Ferrari able to turn it around, whether or not uh, Red Bull's uh, can, able to keep going, whether or not they're going to be able to start pushing for wins like Max and some of the people of Honda have been saying over the last little while. But uh, there is uh, no end in sight to Mercedes dominance. And well... Before I get away from uh, Mercedes, because there's always lots of Mercedes news and uh, some of it, uh, you know, you, you just can't get away from it because some of it is just a really, really good quotable stuff, uh, <laughs> which, you know, when you're hosting a podcast like this is, uh, you know, basically becomes a uh, show fodder. Anyways, outgoing Mercedes CEO Dieter Zetsche deserves all the credit for the manufacturer's enduring dominance in Formula One. And that's according to team principal uh, Total Wolf. And uh, Zetsche has been the uh, the uh, CEO 
CEO of a parent company Daimler's uh, since 2006, and he's stepping down from his role at the the end of the month. And uh, so uh, Spain was his last official race of the uh, CEO of uh, of Mercedes. And um, uh, Toto said, uh, and I quote, there are not many CEOs that have empowered a group of people like you did, leaving us on the long leash, letting us represent this fantastic brand. And we did it with pride and with great responsibility. And then Wolf goes on to say, you went through a storm in 2010, 11 and 12 when the car was going backwards. And even in 13, it was not always great. And you stuck to Formula One as CEO of Daimler like no other corporate has ever done. And now we are harvesting this. It is great to see you up there. You deserve all the credit. You have built the structure. So there you go. Dieter Zetsche, outgoing CEO at Mercedes, the man being given uh, a lot of love from Total Wolf, who was also in the news uh, this week and uh, says he's not contemplating leaving Mercedes amid a link to taking over potentially uh, to take over from F1 CEO Chase Carey. Uh, and this comes out because uh, this was a story that was on motors- motorsport.com. And uh, the, uh, the the story there by Scott Mitchell was that, uh, that they understand that Liberty Media is starting to make succession plans and considering the long-term plan to uh, really solidify and, and make sure that there is a uh, successor in place for Chase Carey should he decide to leave or retire, whatever it might be. And uh, one of the names that's being thrown out there is Total Wolf. And I mean, Wolf has been with Mercedes since uh, 2013. And under his guidance, well, (laughs) need I say more, they've won dozens and dozens of races, multiple world championships for their drivers and the constructors. And uh, I mean, we already see the F1 sporting director is Ross Braun. And Ross, uh, of course, his record as a team principal and an engineer in Formula One is uh, it's unparalleled. He's an absolutely successful and a a brilliant mind. And uh, Total Wolf, I mean, he deserves all that credit as well for the work that uh, that he's uh, helped uh, do at Mercedes. And are those the kind of people that you want running your sports? I would think so. But Wolf, uh, on the other hand, said he's not contemplating any uh, change uh, beyond uh, Mercedes car and Formula One program. And uh, he says that uh, he's really happy. He said he's in what he calls a super situation. He's a shareholder in the team. He loves being there. Uh, He said he's in a real happy place and he's motivated to to go to work and uh, do everything he he does each and every uh, day. So he's committed to, to, to Mercedes. And even though they haven't committed after 2020, and of course, no other Formula One team has at this point in view or point in time, that uh, he's hinting that it's more likely that uh, that Mercedes is going to stick with Formula One than uh, than pull out uh, after 2020, which you know that that's been a bit of a question for me. And uh, of course, well, we'll see what happens uh, once the, the the plans for 2020, uh, well, sorry, 2021, get hammered out, and the the, the teams start to sign up for them and. Uh, at this point is all speculation, but we'll see at the end of the year or whenever they do uh, step up to the table and put uh, pen to paper and sign on for the next, uh, the next version of the Concord agreement or whatever they're going to call it. But I've often wondered is uh, does Mercedes still have anything to gain by staying, staying in formula one? If they're not a hundred percent satisfied with how formula one's going to look uh, going forward, are they still going to stay here? So I mean, as much as I'd like to see somebody come in and knock them off their pedestal or, or challenge them a little bit more uh, more regularly, I do recognize uh, the, the the value and appreciate the value and everything that they have to offer Formula One. 
So it is good to see that they are considering uh, their options and it sounds like that they are going to be around in Formula One after 2020. So very good to see. Anyways, time for another quick break here on the Overtime Sports Podcasting Network. We'll be taking a short break and we'll be back in just a moment. Don't go away. All right, welcome back to the show. And this was a <laughs> another story that uh, kind of made me chuckle, but not really because, come on guys, everybody I think is a Lewis Hamilton fan, or maybe if you're not a fan of uh, Lewis Hamilton, maybe this is something you thought about uh, this time last year because in, uh, in uh, 2018, at this point in the season, Lewis Hamilton was still in negotiations uh, with uh, with Mercedes, and it was not uh, it was hadn't been publicly announced or released uh, if he'd uh, re-signed a new contract. It was going to stay with the team. And come on, let, let's admit it. Some of us thought that is there a possibility that uh, that Lewis Hamilton might leave? Might he go to Ferrari? Because at the, uh, the there there was questions about who was going to move where, and of course. Silly season is a thing in Formula One when everybody uh, talks about the, the the driver's market, and honestly, that's something I talked about or, or, or thought about uh, inside uh, for for a little while. It may have only been a couple of seconds here or there, but at the end of the day, I, I just could not picture it. I, I could not see Lewis Hamilton switching uh, the silver overalls for the scarlet red Ferrari ones. It would just look really weird, and I remember. Looking on social media at the time and seeing uh, some people had photoshopped some things of of Lewis wearing Ferrari overalls and things like that and kind of made me laugh at the time. But Total Wolf uh, was saying that uh, that he and Lewis discussed about the the appeal of uh, a move to Ferrari uh, last year when they were uh, d- during uh, contract negotiations. And Wolf said that he recognizes that uh, that every driver at some point wants to uh, to drive for ferrari because i mean they are an iconic brand i mean everybody everywhere knows who ferrari are everybody knows what what amazing cars that they make not just race cars but uh, but but uh, road cars well what passes for a road car supercars anyways and uh, and so he said he recognized that it is one of the uh, most iconic Formula One brands and historic Formula One brands. And uh, he said he totally respects if a driver has that desire to drive it to Ferrari. And uh, and he said that he even he and Lewis had uh, talked about it uh, when they were talking uh, last year. And of course, uh, Lewis is um, quickly catching up Ferrari and Formula One legend uh, Michael Schumacher and like. Hamilton right now has uh, 75 uh, career victories, so he's only 16 behind uh, Schumacher. And uh, Wolf went on to say that he, he said that you have to be open-minded and understand that, uh, that that drivers at some point will explore opportunities and uh, and may move on to, to different things. And uh, he said that um, he feels like they have a strong relationship uh, with Lewis, and he said that they've always been very tra- transparent with each other in discussions. And he says at this point, everything is great, and uh, he doesn't expect uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, to, to move on or, or move to, to Ferrari. And you know, honestly, why would you? I mean, Lewis, I think, you know, obviously he's getting a little bit older. I mean, he's by no stretch of the means uh, an old guy at all. But I mean, in terms of a, of a professional athlete, I mean, the window is is very, very small. I mean, you, you look at some some athletes that uh, are professional athletes that seem to be around for years and years and years. And some of them do stick around for a very, very long time. But 
in a, in a lot of cases that that window is very uh, sh- small and uh, the amount of time that uh, that uh, men and women at the at the top levels play professionally is sometimes r- really only a couple of years i mean lewis in that regards has uh, been very fortunate uh, that he's enjoyed a, a very long and successful career in formula 1 at this point and what would be the motivation to switch to uh, Ferrari or anyone else for that matter for Lewis Hamilton at this point in his career? I mean, he's starting to close in on uh, Michael Schumacher's records. He's already holds a bunch of other records in Formula One. Why would you want to uh, you know change now just for the the, the sake of uh, you know I, I've always dreamt of driving for Ferrari, so now's the time to go when you still have the best car. And uh, in, in the entire world, in in uh, in Mercedes in the W10. So I mean, Lewis Hamilton has this year a damn good chance to win the world championship. So does Valtteri Bottas. I mean, what we've seen through the first five races of the year is uh, that they are class and a step ahead of everyone else. And if you're uh, Lewis Hamilton, you're at that point in your career, you have five world championships, the record is seven, you're already tied with five world championships, which puts you in extremely elite uh, company. I mean, you're tied with Juan Manuel Fangio, and you're, you're starting to home in on, uh, on Schumacher's uh, record of seven. You got to think... You know, if you if you want to make or you want to get your name in the at the top of the list in the history books, you're going to stay stay put. You're going to stay with that team that has the best car. And if you have a great relationship like you do with uh, Mercedes, and you have a great relationship with the team principal like Total Wolf and your mechanics, your engineers, with everybody else in the factory, to me it seems like a slam dunk. It, it seems so illogical uh, for him to to get up and leave and go anywhere else. Because you have to think, you know, he has a legitimate shot to be the best ever, or perhaps even at least equal Michael Schumacher's uh, seven uh, world championships. If he wins this year, he's got six. And then at the end of 2020, if he has another phenomenal year next year, he could tie him. And then it would be, I guess, Lewis's choice at that point for for 2021 uh, and beyond, whether he wants to uh, stay there and then uh, and try and go for eight if he is in that position at that moment. But I can see that it, it is interesting, and uh, you know, it, it's interesting to hear Total Wolf to come out and uh, and admit that. And it, and honestly, I think a lot of us do have those questions, but practically, I can't see Lewis doing it at, at the moment, if at all. So anyways, I just thought that that was one that was uh, kind of cool to, to to put out there. Anyways, we were talking a little bit uh, earlier about um, Ferrari, of course, and uh, and uh, and Red Bull and just the way that uh, they've really seemed to have switched places in terms of the uh, the, the running order. And uh, Red Bull um, uh, team principal uh, Christian Horner says that Max Verstappen has been what he calls phenomenal since selecting uh, another year. And uh, he goes back as uh, far as, as uh, Monaco last year when uh, Verstappen crashed uh, during free practice and was not able to qualify and then ended up starting from the back of the grid. And he had uh, actually had uh, a great race that uh, that year. And that was that uh, line in the sand. And I think it was a real wake-up call for Max because a couple of weeks after that, he went off uh, to the Canadian Grand Prix uh, here in Montreal. And uh, that was a completely different Max. He, he came without his entourage, which usually includes his dad, uh, Yoss, and uh, he just came on his own. He was focused. He had a very good uh, weekend that weekend, and uh, it was a real turning point. And it was, I, I think, for Max 
I'd like, I think, I think it's fair enough uh, to say now because it, it's been more than obviously a flash in the pan. Because if it was just a temporary sort of thing, maybe we see do, do it for two, three, four races and then kind of regress again. But he's been pretty solid. He's been pretty competitive, and uh, he's looked pretty darn good ever since then. And uh, and, and and Christian Horner um, echoes both of that. And he said that he just uh, remarked how he passed both Ferraris on the uh, the opening lap to finish third at the Spanish Grand Prix, which was only a second podium of the the, the season. But you know he's he's moving up in the world championship and uh, th- there's no doubt i mean that this guy is is good and uh, th- there's uh, i think to me it highlights again the fact that uh, th- that you know ricardo leaving red bull at the end of last year to go to renault which is obviously a less competitive team really goes to show that that that, that this is a team that is max's team and that uh, even if ricardo stayed there that he would be under the shadow of uh, of max and they never really came out uh, to say that uh, that that Max is their number one guy, and I thought it was very interesting. If you watch the F one Drive to Survive uh, documentary series on uh, on Netflix, and you see like a lot of these uh, moments that uh, that that went on during the first half of the season about Ricardo and just talking about like his his contract extension or signing a new one at Red Bull, and you see Horner talking to his agent or his parents or whoever it is, and trying to make the case for Danny Rick to stay with Red Bull, and then. Um, uh, by the time it was all said and done, he makes that real shock decision uh, to move to uh, to Renault. And I still remember it uh, when it was announced because last year, my summer holiday, my own personal summer holiday, coincided nicely with the, the F1 summer break. And we were sitting at the hotel where we were, and we were about to head off to the beach uh, for for the day. And uh, I was sitting out front waiting for everybody else to come out. And I was just sitting on a bench there. And uh, I, I picked up my phone and I opened Twitter and first thing at the top of my timeline is uh, Ricardo's announcement that he's going to Renault. And I mean, I, I literally almost fell off the bench. I was uh, so surprised. And that that was basically the conclusion that that, that I reached as much as that it was uh, an opportunity to go to another team and be uh, arguably the number one driver there. That it was uh, as much as, as it was that was also a move to get away from uh, Red Bull. And even though, uh, you know, he wasn't uh, publicly talked about being, uh, say, a number two driver to Max Verstappen, I think that just the fact that uh, Max is who he is, I mean, he's he's a hard drive, driving, uh, a charging driver with a lot of talent, a lot of potential. I mean, he's, uh, I mean, not that age has anything uh, to do with it, but I mean, he can be a star in Formula One for a very long, long time to come where Ricardo's already pushing 30 or thereabouts. So, I mean, the time that he has left in Formula One is, uh, is obviously less, uh, less than Max, but you know, I mean, the, the thing is Max has, is already in a competitive car and he's been there for a couple of, uh, years. I mean, Red Bull, uh, as we were talking about earlier in the show, have had the the opportunity to win races here and there over the past uh, several years, and of course, Max got his very first win in 2016 at the at the Spanish Grand Prix. Of course, that was uh, helped out when uh, uh, Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton crashed on the opening lap at uh, Turn Four. But I mean, you know, Max still managed to uh, win that after it was all said and done, and that uh, I, I think was a real, obviously a, a landmark moment in his own career, and uh, really signaled uh, what he. Can potentially do in Formula One, and uh, certainly I think that's uh, that re- that is recognized not by uh, just his uh, team principal and everybody else at Red Bull, but I think about fans and media everywhere else in uh, in the world. So 
it uh, it really is uh, interesting to to sort of read the quotes that uh, that um, Christine Horner uh, said that uh, really kind of lays it out. And he said, really, in the last twelve months since Monaco last year, he selected another gear, and his performance has been phenomenal. And he's extracted every ounce of performance out of the car. He races so strongly. It was a really intelligent first couple of corners, and obviously a very brave pass on Sebastian around the outside of turn. Three, I think he's really showing maturity and composure and consistency in the car. He was trading a tenth every lap in the Spanish Grand Prix, and that's been uh, remarkable. So, I mean, it, it really is promising uh, for Max, and uh, if they can really get that Honda engine together, I think it uh, will be very, very fun to watch and see what uh, Max uh, Verstappen uh, can do. And I'm, I'm starting to think that maybe that the next legitimate uh, threat, and I'm hoping that uh, the next legitimate threat is going to come from uh, Max Verstappen, because I think it might uh, be, be fun to watch. I mean, uh, Max gives no quarters and it's no holds uh, barred. And I think it would uh, be fun to, to, to see him uh, challenging uh, week in and week out uh, for, for race wins. So it uh, we'll have to wait and see how it turns out. Anyways, just talking a little bit more about uh, Max and just now specifically about uh, the, the race itself in Spain. And uh, he believes that uh, the Red Bull's car is not really better in any corner than Mercedes. And uh, well, I mean, that, that, that was obvious. I mean, uh, they were not anywhere close to, to, to Mercedes, but he was the best of the rest. And I think it was a uh, very, very promising uh, for him. I mean, like I say, he got, uh, got uh, his second podium of the year. He's sitting comfortably in third place in the world championship at the moment. And he can stay there as a, as far as I can uh, see. I mean, if, um, I, I think when it comes uh, to Ferrari and, and battling head to head, that, uh, that Red Bull is at least equal as them. And, uh, as we saw in Spain on the weekend, if they go head to head in a, in a race like that, that, uh, they might even have a slight advantage. So, Max definitely looking good in Formula One at the moment. Anyway, it's going to take one final break here. I'm <laughs> starting to, starting my, through, my voice is starting to go a little bit. So I'm going to and take a break because I'm still not 100% over my cold. And honestly, guys, I need to, need to rest my voice for a few moments and get a drink of water. Anyhow, I'll be right back here on the Overtime Media Network in just one moment. All right, welcome back to the show. It's time to start wrapping it up and look at some of the other teams that uh, and some of the things that are going around Formula One uh, this uh, this week. And uh, first of all, Gunther Steiner, the team principal at Haas, revealed that a, a post-race clear-the-air talk was held with uh, drivers Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen, and that had to do with the uh, the incident that the teammates had when they clashed at Turn 1, when they were both uh, battling for 7th uh, position late in the race, and that was just after the safety car restart. And uh, Magnussen's uh, overtaking attempt down the inside ended up leading uh, to contact uh, with the left rear of his car, and the right front of Roman Grosjean's car. I've gone so far through the show uh, talking about all the latest news and speculating about various things. They should run down quickly on the on the top 10 of the uh, the, the Spanish Grand Prix and just uh, refresh everyone's memory. Of course, it was Lewis winning the race, Valtteri Bottas second, Max Verstappen third to round out the podium, Vettel and Leclerc fourth and fifth for Ferrari, Pierre Gasly sixth, Kevin Magnussen managed to uh, finish in seventh and get that uh, place for for Haas. Carlos Sainz in uh, the McLaren with an eighth position, so a, a good uh, points finish for for him again in his home Grand Prix. Danny Kvyat ninth for Toro Rosso, which was a, a solid result for him. And then uh, in, in P10 was Roman Grosjean in uh, the the second Haas, and he was able to. Uh, 
fight off a, a hard-charging Alexander Albon in the uh, the second uh, Toro Rosso in the, the the dying laps there, and it looked like he might uh, have a go at one point, but uh, uh, Grosjean was able to, to to stick it out and hold it uh, hold that final uh, point uh, for Haas. But uh, certainly his uh, closing stage of the race was was fairly exciting. I mean, that that clash that he had with Magnussen, he had to uh, use the runoff area and go around that uh, bollard in that uh, second and third corner. And then he did that a couple of times uh, towards the end there. And uh, it was it was kind of funny. I was just like, well, you know, it, it, how many times is he going to do that? Could you potentially get in trouble? But I guess as long as you're coming back around the right side of that bollard that they have at the corner there, that you're you're not gaining an advantage. And certainly uh, he did have his moments. And I think that after he did touch uh, wheels with Kevin Magnuson, that uh, that that uh, that his race was compromised a little bit. I mean, I'm not 100% sure if there was any damage to, to the car, but uh, over the, uh, the the radio, Steiner was heard uh, just really urging Grosjean to stay calm, and uh, and uh, they would uh, talk about it after the race at uh, what was over. And he said that he talked to both of them after the race and cleared the air, and uh, they they said uh, that they're just going to go back to uh you know wh- where things were because they weren't going to sit around and 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 look at the video to determine whose fault it was because it was w- one of those things we we saw the um also in that corner with uh with Lando Norris and the the, the McLaren and Lance Stroll uh Norris was on the outside of turn 1 going into that uh, that right-hander which if you go on the 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 right-hand side if you can get uh, a bit of uh, ahead of your rival then you go into turn 2 which is a left-hander you can get the, the the advantage, but I mean, with the, with Norris, and we'll, we'll talk about him in the in a second. That ended up an accident, whereas uh, Magnuson and, and Grosjean, uh, they just ended up uh, banging wheels. But the thing was, Ma- Magnuson was in front, and we 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 know what kind of a guy Magnuson is, and he wasn't going to ease off. I mean, especially when uh, Grosjean was uh, was was behind him. I mean, uh, his left, sorry, his right front was uh, only level with uh, with Magnuson's. Uh, left rear tire so obviously Magnuson had the, the the track position and maybe he could have done more to to ease off but you know at the, at the same time he is running his own race and you never want to like uh, take out any other car the you know, less of all your own uh, teammate but I think uh, definitely that uh, that that Grosjean would have been a, a little bit better maybe just to ease off a little bit and just to concede that little bit of uh, track and maybe if he's going to try and pass his teammate try to do it uh, somewhere else but uh uh, Steiner went on to, to go on to say that they need to, to learn about it, move forward. And they said, uh, that they got away quite uh, lucky and lost some points, but, uh, at the end, uh, they did have a car in seventh and 10th, which is good. And then, uh, he, he did go on that, even though that, uh, that, that Grosjean was uh, upset, he said that the two drivers do have a good uh, relationship and, uh, they, they wanted to, to make sure that uh, nothing happened that, uh, created bad feelings. And one of the, one guy upset uh, the, the other one. So certainly seems like it was, uh, well played uh, by Gunther Steiner, and uh, if there is a season two of F1 Drive to Survive, I certainly hope that uh, some of that audio makes it in uh, in there, or maybe some of the reactions, because uh, those of you, like I say, that have seen the series, uh, have come to know what uh, a bit of a character that uh, that Gunther can be, and uh, some of the, the the colorful and blue language that, that he uses, so it could be a uh, fairly and uh, enjoyable to to watch that uh, exchange now just sort of sticking uh, quickly with uh, with Haas their title sponsor rich energy has lost a, a court case over their logo 
which they they were being uh, they were being sued by uh, a, a bike company that was called White Bikes. Uh, they're saying that uh, that the logo that uh, that they had that stag's head uh, was copied from one that uh, that they had uh, been using for over a decade. So the court found in favor of uh, the the bike company. So we'll, we'll see if and anything happens about that, but. You know, be that as it may, regardless if they have the logo or not, that that gloss black and that gold trim on that Haas is still, I think, one of the sexiest cars in Formula One this year. And it, it was good to see them get back uh, a, a little bit this uh, this week because they had been uh, struggling a little bit uh, in, in in recent uh, races, and uh, they've had a good, I think couple of years in their start to, to, to Formula One, but they seem to come and go. It seems when things are working well for them, they're working pretty good and they're, they're able to get their cars in the points and, and, and score points whenever they can. But it, uh, on the flip side, it's like that old saying, when you're hot, you're hot. And when you're not, you're not. And, and, and for me, my, uh, my view of Haas over the past couple of years is that, uh, that exactly that. When they've been hot, they've been hot. And when they've not, they've been or not hot. They haven't been hot at all. So it was good to see them uh, get a good weekend uh, in Barcelona. All right, so I just uh, talked about it uh, quickly about, uh, about Lando Norris and Lance Stroll. Of course, the two crashed um, in uh, late in the race, and that's what led to the the, the safety car, which uh, made uh, for a, a kind of exciting couple of laps uh, in the in the closing sp- sp- or stages of the, uh, the the race on Sunday. And uh, Norris said uh, he does not know what Stroll was thinking. In, in the crash. So what, what happened was they went down that very long straight in Barcelona and uh, with the effect of uh, DRS, Norris was able to really close some ground, tried to make a bit of a move on the outside into turn one into that right-hander. And of course, when they came back into the left-hander for turn two, um, he collided with uh, with Lance and uh, they ended up uh, spinning off and going into to the gravel. And, you know, honestly, the way that I see it, I see that more as, uh, as, as Norris's fault. Of course, he was on the outside, but he was the car that was further behind on the track and uh, very similar to uh, Magnussen and Grosjean. Um, his uh, right front tire was a little bit further ahead than Grosjean's when he had his uh, little wheel banging incident with his uh, his teammate. And when uh, Lance came back across into that left-hander into to turn two, that's when they collide and they spun out. But he was uh, was ahead, and I mean, that, that's the thing with uh, Formula One. Just time sometimes because you see a gap and you see an opening doesn't mean that you're always going to be able to, to to take advantage of it. And that's a pretty tight sequence of uh, corners there. As you you hit a, a left hander, sorry, a right hander, then a left hander, and then another right hander into turn three, which really sweeps around, and then you get a little short straight until you get into that uh, another really long uh corner in turn four and then it sort of starts the the track starts to turn in on itself in a bit of a tw- tight and twisty uh, section but he was never going to be able to uh to, to get to get his way through there i mean especially the way that they go between turns one and two so quickly that even if he's in the outside on turn one it's really unlikely that he's going to be able to to get around into turn two in front of uh, Lance Stroll. I mean, Vettel tried it at the start and uh, with uh, mixed results and ended up uh, flat spotting his tires after having to lay on the brakes. But, 
you know, that that is one of the few places that uh, that we see cars overtaking in Spain. Uh, and also we've seen cars collide there before in the past. So unfortunately uh, for, for Lando, it didn't uh, work out. But, you know, the, the way that I saw it and, you know, feel free to, to, to disagree with me and let me know. But I thought that was uh, more on Lando than it was on uh, on Lance. And uh, that's not necessarily just one Canadian guy sticking up for another guy. That's just uh, the, the way that I saw it. Now, just a couple more stories here, just about uh, Renault, just to, to close it out, and uh, you know, for this week, and um, Danny Ricardo, who we were talking about uh, a little earlier in the previous segment, said that Renault underachieved in the Spanish Grand Prix, and uh, they didn't score any points again. And well, Danny, I think you're being a little bit uh, generous. I think that you guys have been underachieving all season long, and uh, well, Bahrain was certainly not one of their finest moments when both of the cars expired at a, almost precisely the same moment, uh, you know, just a several laps uh, from the end. But uh, Ricardo's move, his gamble to, to, to move to, to Renault certainly isn't uh, paying off. And they've been another team that, uh, that that I think for me is really disappointed so far this year. I mean, they were fourth in the World Championship last year in the Constructors. And um, they had a good pairing in uh, in Carlos Sainz and uh, Nico Hulkenberg. But when you see like a guy like Danny Ricardo say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going there too. I'm going to be uh, driving for Renault. In, in in 2019, I mean, Ricardo, at least at the, you know, at, at that time at the, you know, the, uh, I guess the appeal of uh, being a marquee uh, signing as uh, one of the top drivers in Formula One. And it it was a big risk, and 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 thus far it has not paid off uh, for him. I mean, uh, we, we all know about how uh, Ferrari has regressed a little bit this year, but uh, Renault just the same. And honestly, the way that uh, that I expected it to go with them. Uh, this is just based on my own speculation and, uh, you know, thoughts as, uh, as I analyze the situation that you have a, a major car manufacturer with Renault, uh, and they, they have such a big budget and are willing to commit uh, major resources to their formula one project to see them really plateau fairly quickly. I mean, when, when they took over from Lotus a couple of years ago, we all knew that, that that first year would be a year in transition and basically the car that they were going to drive that year was going to be a rebadged Lotus just painted in a, in Renault livery with a Renault badge on the front and that it would, uh, you know, it would evolve over time as, as they put their own stamp, their own impression on that, uh, that, that team and started and, and took it over properly and designed and built their own cars. But there was obviously going to be a bit of a step forward and there was, and then for me, it's really sort of tailed off. And if anything, it's dropped off a little bit since last year. And I, I think that's a very disappointing to see because they have pedigree in formula one. They've had lots of success in formula one. And, and most recently with uh, Fernando Alonso winning uh, two world championships uh, for the team. And we, we all know that, that uh, they, they've been in formula one as a, as a, uh, as a manufacturer or as an engine supplier or both at various times uh, throughout the history of Formula One. And uh, they, they've always uh, enjoyed uh, various uh, periods of success as, as either or, right? So to see them in a little bit of, uh, of limbo at the moment and not really performing where I thought they were, because they said that their goal was within five years of taking over Lotus and getting back into Formula One to, to be a contender for podiums and, and challenging for race wins. And just looking at them now, I mean, they're, they're basically right where they're, they're supposed to be in this medium term project that they had or, or goal that they had to, to become a competitive Formula One team again, that they seem to be well behind 
in uh, in that goal and that aim at the moment. So there certainly is a lot of work uh, for for them to do. And uh, after the Grand Prix on uh, on Sunday in, in Spain at Barcelona, the te- teams have stuck around uh, to do some some more testing. And no surprise here, uh, Mercedes is on top. Uh, Bottas was uh, the, the fastest in testing, and you know they're they're still talking about how much more they can develop the W10 and all these things. Anyways, I digress. We've talked enough about Mercedes on this program today, but anyways, just sticking with uh, with with, uh, with Renault, they said that the the, t- or the key to the Barcelona test is uh, to find the pace that they've uh, that they had and they've they, they've given away over the first uh, five races of the season, and so their their real goal is to to be able to hold you know to to close that gap to the other. Uh, well, just break free of that midfield pack and start to, to close uh, ground uh, with the top three teams of uh, Ferrari, Mercedes, and, and Red Bull, where they were uh, last year. I mean, the, to finish fourth in the world championship is, uh, you know, it's, it's nothing to turn your nose up again. I mean, obviously, it's uh, not as uh, glamorous as winning the thing, but... I think that uh, that that last year that uh, it, for me it was a good season. W- wasn't great, but uh, to finish fourth in world championship, I think is exactly where they needed to be. And, and obviously, they still uh, at that point had a ways to go before they could really be competitive with Ferrari and Red Bull. I, I mean, those would be the first two teams that you'd be thinking that uh, you want to catch up. I mean, Mercedes just being that uh, that extra step ahead of everyone else is uh, is something else uh, completely, but. This year that they uh, they, they take it uh, you know they've taken a step back and and uh, team principal Cyril Abitaboul thinks that uh, that the test in Barcelona this week uh, the two day test that they've had will be essential for helping their recovery and uh, they he really hopes it'll help them get to the bottom of uh, what they need to do to to lift up their performance and and deliver the potential that they thought they had because during the uh, during the winter they were talking about how uh, that they're really hopeful that they'd done a lot of the things that they needed to do that the engine that they designed for this year was their most powerful that they've uh, developed in in formula one and they've sort of underachieved in there over the years i mean that was such a contentious issue between themselves and 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 red bull and don't need to get into that saga again but uh this year not only had they believed that uh that their power unit was more uh uh you know uh stronger than it was but also the car was better and they invested in the team and appointed more people in key areas and and more people to the formula one program and they'd done that about a year and a half ago and they thought that it would take about a year year and a half before all these new people and all these new investments that they made into their formula one pro uh, program would really start to manifest themselves and come out and and they were there was hope that there were signs of that last year but this year not really going very great for them. So they need to get that uh, sorted out as does Ferrari, which we talked about because, you know, we're already heading into the sixth race of the season in, in Monaco, not too far from now. And it's a 21 race season. I mean, we're almost, we're, we're basically a quarter of the way already done. And that's a, that, that's a mind blower uh, to, to think that it doesn't really seem like all that long ago that we we're just getting ready for the, uh, the Australian Grand Prix. And here we are already heading into the sixth race of the year in Monaco next weekend. So it goes fast and uh, it, it's going to be point of no return for a lot of these teams at uh, at some point. Ferrari's got to find a way to close that gap or else their, their season's going to be done and they're just going to be, uh, I wouldn't say just making up the numbers, but if they don't get it sorted out soon and if uh, and Mercedes keeps uh, pulling away, then uh, their chance to legitimately challenge for the world championship, either for the drivers or the constructors, is just going to be a moot point. Anyways, 
Guys, my voice is completely gone, so we're at about an hour right now, so I'm surprised I actually made it this far. So thank you for hanging in there with me, and uh, Kevin will be back uh, next time to help uh, uh, shoulder the load. It's difficult to, to talk, to produce, and uh, and do all these things simultaneously. I'm wearing about three different hats at the same time, and sometimes it is difficult to kind of keep your, your train of thought and uh, do everything behind the scenes here at the same time. It's a lot easier, obviously, when we, we share the load. Anyways... That's enough uh, of that. If you want to get in touch with the show, please uh, do so by sending us an email at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com or tweet us at scuderiaf1pod on the Twitters. And that's it. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll talk to you guys again very, very soon. Until next time, have a great Formula One. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.